Hello, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .NET. I'm Sean Claybo, your host, and we have a full panel today. We've got Wai Lu. Hey, Wai. Hey, Sean. Yeah, good, good. I'm actually all right for a Friday. Oh, yeah. so, I'm all right for a Saturday. Hopefully I don't screw anything up. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And Caleb Wells. Welcome, Caleb. Hey, y'all. How's hey. it going? Good. Unlike you, Sean, I am wiped out. <laughs> but I'm here, so... <laughs> Hopefully, I've I will not fall asleep. I've been exercise. So I think that's helped with my energy a little bit. So softball season started up playing that. You know, they got to wear masks, which is which is fine. Uh, I right. don't have a problem with doing that as long as I'm out there playing and get some exercise and seeing the guys. So cool. that works for me. Good. Good. All right. Our guest today, Carl Layton. Welcome, Carl. Yes. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I like your name. It's my middle name. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> with a C or a K? With a C. Oh, nice. With I know a couple of Carl's with a, with a K, but I don't know anybody with a C. Mm, yeah, of course. You know, I always I always knew it when I was in trouble with my mom. You know, it's always Sean Carl. They always pull in the middle name when you when you when you're in trouble. Yeah, I do that with my kids too. So <laughs> cool. Did you work your tail off to get that senior developer gig just to realize that senior dev doesn't actually mean dream job? I've been there too. My first senior developer job was at a place where all of our triumphs were the bosses and all the failures were ours. The second one was a great place to continue to learn and grow, only for it to go under due to poor management. And now I get job offers from great places to work all the time. Not only that, but the last job interview I actually sat in was a discussion about how much my podcast had helped the people interviewing me. If you're looking for a way to get into your dream job, then join our Dev Heroes Accelerator. Not only will we help you get the kind of exposure that makes you attractive to your dream employer, but you'll be able to ask them for top dollar as well. Check it out at devheroesaccelerator.com. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, what you do, how you got into development, and how you got into .NET. Yeah, so I'm a senior software engineer, got into .NET about 10 years ago. I actually started with .NET when I became a professional developer and yeah, been in it ever since. So yeah. What kind of projects do you work on? So right now I work for a company that does like uh, online compliance training for uh, financial institutions. So I work on our learning manager product line. So uh, we manage, it's like a software as a service com- company and we manage uh, compliance training for banks and credit unions and that kind of thing. We track course completions and, and so forth and reporting um, on that. Um, that's a ASP.NET based API um, single mm-hmm. page application. Okay. So our topic today is going to be uh, identity. How did you get into identity? Yeah, so uh, identity is is interested me for the last few years. And, and mainly what interested me is the complexity around it. There's a, a lot of complexity with things like security, obviously it has to be secure, it has to be implemented correctly. But there's also a lot of user experience things that go into it as well. There's a lot of different workflows there in terms of signing up and signing in and, and resetting passwords, implementing like two-factor authentication that a lot of applications do now. And, and also there's a lot of different types of applications that all kind of need some kind of identity management, right? there. It's kind of like the entry point into the application. Like the first bullet point of any project is how are we going to authenticate users? Right? So it's always a to-do and it's always something that, ha- that has to be implemented correctly. So identity to you, is that both authorization and authentication? Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the authentication piece of 
identifying who the user is and then the authorization of what can this user actually do within the application. So one thing from from my previous experience has been using Identity Server with both .NET Framework and .NET Core. But I understand the latest version of Identity really replaces a lot of that functionality. Have you used both in the past? I have experimented with Identity Server and actually using that as sort of the identity provider and then connecting third-party applications to it. I did a a demo with a Sitefinity application. I don't know if you're familiar with the Sitefinity CMS. Integrating that application as a client to uh, an identity server, identity provider. But yeah, uh, now a lot of the functionality, like you mentioned, is is in ASP.NET. You can have it um, manage identity, uh, you know, as well as be the, the client application. So going back to authentication, because maybe I jumped ahead or that's just a, a segue. Again, I'm tired. So one of the things that, that we have run into when doing identity or standing up an identity server, right? Like you said, you, you have the different user flows, sign up, sign in, so on and so forth. But one of the biggest challenges we've run into is handling the different application types and how best they need to be authenticated from a security perspective, from web apps to mobile to spas. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience there? Yes. So I think that is one of the big challenges with identity management is like there's all different types of applications now, right, that, that need to be securely uh, authenticated and, and authorized. And so really, like what, what we find now is the identity provider service is really separate from those applications. And then the, the applications themselves can authenticate to the identity server and pass in uh, the user credentials and the identity server is really responsible for authenticating that user as well as uh, you know authorizing the application to use the specific uh, sort of scopes and stuff that it that the application is requesting uh, so I think by separating those services out that's really uh, how you achieve that instead of duplicating it across all, all the different application types that, that you may have to support. Uh, you know, you may have a, a website that's an application. You might have a mobile app that goes along with that web application. Um, so it's nice to have all that in one single identity service. You're saying regardless of like which of your, I guess, interface latchy logs in, you've you, you re- re- redirected to a single point that actually does all the authentication? Right. So there's the, the big sort of standards you hear with that are, are OAuth and OpenID Connect. And that's really, o, OAuth is an authorization framework that is really a way to, to manage authorization tokens. And then OpenID Connect is kind of sits on top of OAuth, giving everyone a, a common endpoint that they can act, use to authenticate, you know, and then start the, the sort of the token management process there. Mm. And so we look at the Microsoft stack. That is really where, you know, the new Azure identity comes in, the Azure identity platform and Azure B2C. You can use Azure as that identity provider and then authenticate through Azure. And then you can kind of give Azure your 
your scopes and uh, different authorization that, that you're requesting. I've found that Azure Active Directory has definitely evolved over the last two or three years because we were looking at it several years ago and it didn't meet our our use case at the time, which was, okay. right, we have a, an application that has thousands of different clients. It's multi-tenant and those clients are actually schools, universities, and they don't want to create a new account or use a different email. So they want to use their school email address and have it work inside of our system and getting the proper roles and authorization based off of who they are. I think Azure AD could probably handle that um, these days, but we ended up having to use Identity Server and kind of go around the world a little bit. So yeah. go ahead. Go ahead, Carl. Uh, I was going to say, I think one of the biggest challenges with implementing Identity is when you have current active user, a current active user base like that, you know, it's kind of like you want to upgrade your identity platform or upgrade your application to a new, new technologies. But what do you do with all the existing users, right? It's not easy to, to move them. And it, do you send out an email and tell everybody they have to change their password or, you know, uh, how, how do you handle mm -hmm. that? Right. And so, yeah, I think that is uh, one of the biggest challenges when moving to a different identity platform. Well, what kind of advice would you would you give um, in that situation? You know, I think it really depends on uh, the certain the particular scenario. Mm. You know, the identity management that's built into ASP.NET Core. If you're looking to to host or manage all the identity features internally within the application, you know, sort of in house, have an in house development team manage that. Uh, you can customize the built in ASP.NET Core identity pretty significantly in terms of how users are stored and even how password reset tokens are generated and things like that. So I think it really depends on your scenario, but there's a lot of options there in terms of changing out how users are stored and, and that sort of thing. If you're looking to move to a third-party identity provider like a Microsoft Identity, you know, you, you'd have to go through the different obstacles there in terms of, uh, you know, you set up an Azure B2C tenant uh, and try and migrate all the users into that. that. That's really a separate account at that point, though. Is there much difference between all the different identity providers, you know, like like Okta, which is now bought by OAuth or you know, using Microsoft Identity or using Facebook or Google or any of those? Yeah. So if they're implementing the, the OAuth and OpenID Connect standards, there's not too much of a difference. You'll find a lot of similar patterns, like they all require a, a client ID, client secret. They, they kind of all have the same terminology around like how you set up you know, the, the different endpoints, define what scopes the application should be authorized to access. And so you, you'll definitely find patterns there with, with what each application, you know, each identity provider requires kind of like okay i know i need this set of data you know to, to configure this identity provider so after you do a couple it's it's kind of like you, you get the pattern down right a lot of stuff has changed not just with identity but authorization in in general over the past few years uh, i remember right 10 15 years ago in net right most things were role-based Right, you were an admin, or you were a supervisor, or you were a student, and that determined your what you could do, what you had access to. You mentioned scopes earlier, 
and I know a lot of these providers now suggest doing claim-based authentication. Could you dig into those a little bit? Yeah. So as you mentioned, roles kind of came first, right? And then and then claims came along. And really, roles could be fit into claims. You can you can generate claims for a user that basically says what what roles they have access to. Now in the ASP.NET world, because roles came first, they're still there. And you can get some additional features by using roles versus claims are, are really just tied to users. But but you can have a role be a, a claim as well. And and claims are really just key value pairs of information, right? You you identify yourself by logging in and then you can say like this is my first name, this is my birth date, things like that. And it's just kind of like you're saying what they are, right? Now you're logging in with a social login like Google or Facebook or, or something like that. They they can provide claims as well. They you know have your profile information and so forth. So if you allow access to that, you know, Google can say, this is my first name because they have identified me. So if you were, well, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. If you were going to set up authentication for a brand new project, would you prefer to use .NET identity or Azure AD or a third party like Google or Facebook? So I would probably look at the Azure AD and Microsoft Identity Platform things. If it was going to be a, a completely separate third-party, or not third-party, a completely separate custom-built application, I would probably look at Azure B2C, just because that is is really more of they don't. It's not a Microsoft account. It's not linked to your personal Microsoft account or like a work or school account, and so they can enter whatever email address and password they want. And that takes care of all the identity management around that, such as two-factor authentication and confirming emails and stuff like that. So I'd probably go that route. Uh, now, if you wanted, if you needed to tie into the Microsoft Graph API, if you wanted to do things with, you know, actually tie to Microsoft, then they would have to use a, a personal Microsoft account or worker school account um, just to know what, what they have access to, right, in terms of the Microsoft APIs. Azure B2C does allow you to log in using, you know, your, your social accounts um, anyway, right? If it's they Gmail. Have, yes, they also support that. So you could, in addition to the local username and password stored in Azure B2C, you can also tie in, you know, Google account or Facebook account. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe Azure B2C is free to get started as well up to a certain number of users. So, so the barrier to entry is also very low there. And I'm guessing if you're already hosting your work or your application's already in Azure, it, it makes that integration a little bit easier. Yeah. yeah. So, right. So if you already have, you know, like web APIs and so forth hosted in Azure, through the, when you configure Azure B2C, you can actually tell it, you can expose those APIs by registering those as applications and then tell the application that has to access them, like these are the scopes I need to access. Mm. Um, and then on like, the other side of it, you can say, you know, expose these API endpoints to the Azure B2C tenant. So how easy is, is it to get started with some of these third-party authentication systems? You know, I'm kind of old school. My A lot of my experience is back in .NET web forms with, you know, cookie-based authentication. You just, you know, start your project. So you want to use form-based authentication and it creates everything for you. And then you just kind of set to go. 
how much right. is it a lot harder now to get third party OAuth and things like that set up or is it still no. easy? No, in fact, it's it's pretty easy. Microsoft just recently released a, a big API upgrade for that called the Microsoft Authentication Library. Um, and that's available for .NET, JavaScript, I believe Python, a whole bunch of languages and platforms. And, and you can set that all up really through middleware and so forth to authenticate, get tokens, do the token management stuff um, with just a few lines of code, really. And, and then... And it's still all cookie based. Uh, you know, they still create cookies that that contain that information. And they're up. You know, the cookies are are validated on the request. Yeah, my my problem was always not knowing the latest like the workflow, the the recommended workflow, and using like an OAuth provider. To, it was was good because it would just it would just do all that for me. You know, someone. Much smarter than me at Microsoft would have just figured out what the best workflow is, how how, how someone signs up, how someone resets the password, and things like that. And they would just, um, and I could just you know, just leverage that and instead of um, reinventing the wheel. Right, and and actually, when I was first like coming up with notes, things to talk about for this podcast, I I started to go in in depth OAuth and OpenID Connect and the different flows and how it worked, and then I realized that that's probably not really what I should be talking about because a lot of it is already baked into these library mm. and identity providers that people use. You know, it's nice to know some basics about what's going on and what kind of like the client ID and client secret and so forth that you need to configure them. Um, but a lot of it's configuration through code uh, more than anything. Mm. When you create a new project in Visual Studio, you have the option to choose your authentication and based on that, they set up some scaffolding for you. How useful do you find that or you find you're having to to kind of roll your own? So I would say that's useful if you're getting started or if you want to prototype something. You know, if you're building a new app from scratch, it's it's really useful because you can get up authentication set up right there. Now, again, it depends on your scenario. If you want to use the built-in identity framework that it sets up for storing users and that kind of thing. But all that is also customizable. So you can customize you know, the, the UI that it creates to manage that identity. You can use the, there's a .NET API that really it's all built on that you can uh, dig into if you really want to customize how it works. And so, and I think now too, you can even, when you, when you check that box to add authentication to it, you can choose to, to set it up to connect to an Azure B2C uh, tenant in addition to the local the local ASP.NET core identity with entity framework that it would traditionally use. But yeah, it's great to get up and running. And, and then I find a, a couple customizations that I think are helpful with that is to just change the user store out. Sometimes I don't want to have a whole identity or entity framework set up and things like that. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll just store a new user in memory, you know, register them every time I start the app or whatever, um, you know, and then they get cleared out when the app closes. Yeah, I, I think I recall in older versions of .NET, when you chose authentication and you built it up and you ran your entity framework migrations, it created three or four tables based on their suggested way of doing users and claims and roles. And we we typically ended up having to to tweak that to our needs based on whether, you know, you need 
an extra email or you need some other fields that they're they're not taking into account. Yeah, is that those ASP.NET like users table and all that stuff? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> table on the roles. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I've been around too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. So most of these third-party sites, they, they allow you to brand that as well. So that the user doesn't get a jolt of, hey, where did I just go? I, you know, this doesn't look the same as the site that I just came from. Right, yeah. Yeah, you can uh, update the branding, the login page as well. So you can put your own logo on there and stuff. So that's nice. That actually brings up a, an interesting issue that you run into a lot of cores especially if you're using a separate, your own separate identity server, a third party, right? Going back and forth between these different... What's course, um, Caleb? Origin, huh? Uh, Cross-origin uh, request. What is it? Something. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's basically saying you're going from one URL to another. And are you sure you want to do this? Because you might you might be getting hacked or, or you might they might, they might inject something. Right, so you have to do all that configuration and say, yes, this is a valid connection for me. Right, so yes, yeah, and that actually, when I was I set up a little demo app when I was trying out Azure B two C, and I actually had all of that configuration, and everything working correctly to talk to a, a separate single page application, except for cores didn't work. So of course, it never works the first time. Right, you always have to fiddle around with cores to get it working. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? I mean, let's face it. The only way you're going to know that is by actually running it on production. So go figure it out, right? You run it on production, but you need something plugged in so that you can find out where those issues are, where it's slowing down, where it's having bugs. You just you need something like that there. And Raygun is awesome at this. They, they just added the performance monitoring, which is really slick, and it works like a breeze. I, I just, I love it. I love it. It's like, it's like you get the ray gun and you zap the bugs. It's anyway, definitely go check it out. It's going to save you a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of sanity. I mean, let, let's face it. Grepping through logs is no fun. And having people not able to tell you that it's too slow because they got sidetracked into Twitter is also not fun. So go check out Raygun. They are definitely going to help you out. There are thousands of customer-centric, customer-focused software companies who use Raygun every day to deliver great experiences for their customers. And if you go to Raygun and use our link, you can get a 14-day free trial. So you can go check that out at adventuresin.net.com slash Raygun. Yeah, what, what is the recommendation for cores now? Because, I mean, it used to be, because now, especially now with single page apps and most, well, a lot, especially with single page apps, um, and, and a lot of these apps kind of having separate servers and clients' domains, it's, should I just let, should I just turn that off and just let all traffic in, or should I just only let the, the server domain? Or what, what, what's the recommendation? Yeah, no, you should not turn it off completely, but uh, you can limit it to uh, you know, the domains that you want. To allow and even the method get post the HTTP methods like that you can mm. uh, pick which of those you allow also and and actually right now with the latest versions of ASP.NET I believe you, you can configure all of that in the middleware itself through like the options yeah some, something like that it's called and I believe you can do it on individual routes or action methods as well or you know controllers you can say allow this for this path only. 
um, or you can do it globally for the application. What are some of the other configuration things inside of your startup or your middleware that you think catch people up or that could people should be aware of? One that I just ran across the other day was actually securing static files. So you can allow static files for like the WW root folder, which is usually where you keep all like the HTML and CSS and that kind of stuff. But you can actually define static files at like a different path. So if you wanted to have an application where users could upload files to it and only they could access it, you can actually apply authorization to certain static file paths, which I thought was interesting. You know, that, and that kind of goes back to like the old school, uh, you know, you put the authorize in the web config kind of thing, right? And limit who can access files in that folder. Bringing me back. <laughs> web config. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing you back. This way, I find way, this way I find a lot easier though. Yeah. How about, how about logging? Yeah. How, how important is logging on, on identity? You know, authorization, yeah. authentication, all that kind of stuff. Right. So that that is a great point. Logging is is very important and especially knowing who's logging in, how many attempts and so forth on particular accounts. And if you go with built-in ASP.NET Core functionality on that, where you're really managing identity in-house, you're going to have to manage that yourself. If you're using Azure AD, they have a lot of built-in logging and and metrics and things that you can do, audit logs that you can look at and so forth to, to look at the activity. That's already built in, and so that's that's actually hugely important and a, a big benefit to using something like Azure B2C. I think it was a big like, if you, especially if you work for um, enterprises as well. That's generally a compliance issue as well. You know, you you know, if you do get hacked, especially if you work for a bank or a government entity, you know, logging is basically mandatory. If you don't have it, then and you get hacked, you're going to be liable for. Right, yeah, and a lot of auditors look for it too, you know. Um, That's right, yeah. Authentication and authorization attempts. Mm. Have you looked at the changes, any changes that they're making in .NET 5 or .NET 6? Is it? So this is pretty much all based on .NET 5. Yeah, so it's really like probably .NET 3.1, .NET 5 related, everything we're, we're talking about here. So uh, has there can, been changes, you know, many changes since... Yeah, so I believe in the .NET framework, like when you added authentication to that, it was an MVC application, uh, really, that it created for you. And it managed your account management and sign up and sign in pages through uh, regular you know, MVC controllers and views. Whereas starting in .NET 5, it's based on Razor pages. So it gives you a set of Razor pages that contain all of that. And then there's also a scaffolding feature where you can like overwrite kind of the default pages that it provides. So if you wanted to like update the UI to match your branding and, and so forth, or you wanted to change the look of, you know, like the, the registration page or add to it, you can actually kind of clone that page and, and have it use that one instead of the default one without having to copy and paste all like the code behind logic that makes that work. So that's kind of nice. You yeah, nice. mentioned... You mentioned that the latest version of Identity works with JavaScript and Python, some other languages. That's some interoperability. Do they? Do you know if they use Jots for the JavaScript stuff? And put a link. But a Jot is a JSON web token, which most spas typically 
use to talk back and forth? I believe so. Yeah, I believe they're all based on that. And I think really the, in terms of that, it's really based on the type of application more, more so than the language or framework. You know, if you have a web application that's sitting on a server, that's a secured application. You can you know, have a client secret and make it more secure. If it's an untrusted app, like a single page application in the browser, it can't provide it a client secret. So it's really comes down at that point to the authorization flows that, that it can use. But the, the library handles that that for you. you. You give it the client ID and then configure it in Azure to allow the implicit grant like that, that a single page application would need. Um, and the library handles the rest. These days, single page applications are treated a lot like mobile apps, right? Because like you said, you can't do a client secret because it's not secure. Can you go into a little more detail into why that is? Yeah, well, for a, a single page application, if you put the client secret in there, then anybody can spoof being that that client. You know, I think on the mobile application side, you could probably deconstruct a, a uh, you know APK binary or something, and then extract secrets out of it. Uh, and I know there there's things that they put in place. You know, you can obfuscate the code and, and things like that to make that more difficult. But I think the rule of thumb is if it's something you're you're handing out to a bunch of people, you you don't really have control over it after that, right? Where do you see identity, you know, going? You know, is there going to be some changes coming, and or is it going to stay fairly close to what it is now? I, the the one thing that I would keep an eye on is uh, when it comes to the use of passwords and and like the research being done in the passwordless space for identity. I think there's some interesting things going on there. Yeah, I really hope your password just go away. You know, like they're just not. This is not applicable in this day and age, you know, having to remember yeah. a single password for, for everyone, you know, like every application uh, you access. I don't know if you guys have this, but like with my Outlook account, and it's been this way for more than a year, I've got two-factor turned on. And when I type in my username, it actually sends a prompt to my phone and asks me to match up the number on my screen with the one on my phone. And that is actually what logs me and I don't have to put my password in. Yeah, that, so, things yeah. like that is, is much better. And in fact, I think um, the Microsoft Authenticator app does it even better now. Instead of entering the number in, it just notifies you and you get approved on your phone. So why your phone just becomes your your authenticator, I guess. So Right, yeah, I've, I've seen that with the Authenticator app as well. Or sometimes I'll, you know, I use my fingerprint to get into my phone. Sometimes I have to provide my fingerprint in the mm. Authenticator app and then it, yeah, just don't lose your phone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, oh yeah, you lose your phone, you're screwed. Like, <laughs> so what are your thoughts on using biometrics for for authentication? I mean, I think it's another factor, right? You have a password, you can have the authenticator app that either gives you like the one-time use code or your fingerprint. I, I was really a, a slow adopter to fingerprints and, and things like that. I'm, I'm kind of old school when it comes to the new technologies, but uh, but I I think the most the more recent fingerprint readers are actually pretty good. But yeah, there there is the risk that you you lose your phone, right, or lose that uh, mm. device, and then you know you need a. I've been always I've been really uh, kind of tentative about going to bio, biometrics because I just think eventually someday they're going to figure out how to break into wherever the the fingerprint data is for your fingerprint. 
and you only got mm-hmm. 10 fingers, so you can only have 10 different, you know, setups. Also, tennis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've shied away from using biometrics. Yeah. And I think a lot of it too depends on what you're securing, right? If it's a bank versus a to-do list or something, right? The level of security requirements is different. I think it's just a convenience for me. Like yeah, same essentially, here. No, I've got that in on my phone's got that on screen fingerprint thing now. So it literally is just I can pretty much unlock it in my pocket. So before I even look at the phone. And I actually use it for certain apps on my phone, like my authenticators or like Mm. um, Bitwarden, which is my password vault, um, as like an extra. Well, it it makes it easier for me, but it's also like the extra level of security. And I I agree with Sean. I'm sure at some point they're going to figure it out or they're going to get to it. I mean, look at what they've done with the Apple face unlock, right? Spoofing someone's face. Um, But like you, it's really more of a a convenience factor. Yeah, I think inherently biometric is probably not going to be as safe as a like a a properly formed password, right? I mean, these things can be replicated, you know, like like a face unlock, surely someone could just put a just using some sort of technology they could they could replicate your face is let me in proper password if not i need to go i I just make it all password Uh, yeah yeah i I didn't think anybody else used let me in dang it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i agree with the with the metrics i think and i haven't really tried any of like the microsoft hello or things like that where it's like the facial recognition things i've kind of shied away from that yeah I, I it's actually think, a little creepy because yeah. it, yeah. it works for, I use it on a few of my laptops at home. It works for me. I can even be like standing behind my son while he's trying to get onto one of the laptops oh, and it sees my face in the camera and logs <laughs> in for him. <laughs> so, yeah. That feels a little insecure if that happens. You know? <laughs> I think a lot of people don't realize that it doesn't really store your fingerprint. It stores data points of your fingerprint and uses right. an algorithm to figure all that out. And so I think some people actually have figured out that algorithm and have been able to replicate some of the, the data points and things like that. So they're not actually breaking the the you know mm. the encryption of where your your fingerprint is stored yet, but they are figuring out uh, the algorithm and and how it's can be fooled since it's not the entire thing. Mm. It's hard to stay one step ahead of people who want to figure something out, whether it's for interest or for financial gain, right? Mm, yes, yeah, security is always like an arms war. And I think, yeah, back back to the question about what will we see. And I think there's a lot of things happening in, in the security space, to be honest. So, so whatever we covered, anything uh, anything else to, to mention about? I mean, I think we covered pretty much everything that I had. I would just say anyone looking to get, to get started or, or see how these things work or more information. Um, there's a lot of documentation from Microsoft out there. There's pretty much a, a quick start guide for every single scenario you could think of from a regular web application to a single page application. Um, there's tons of examples on GitHub um, that they provide. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Microsoft does have a ton of documentation. It's just finding the right documentation for the right version of .NET. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost too much sometimes, right? I did find that some of the quick starts have a zip file actually attached to them. Um, and I did find that 
those easier to use than trying to go to the GitHub repository. I don't know if they're just, you know, kind of point in time snapshots of when the quick start was written, whereas the GitHub repository is newer. But but yeah, so the quick starts, uh, there were a few that, that I was really able to to get working. And it, once you get a couple going, then it's kind of like you get the pattern down, right? Of like, this is what I need to configure in Azure. This is how I set up the different scopes that I require and API permissions that I need and so forth. Um, so just takes a little bit of time to, uh, to, to play around with it. All right. Uh, I think I will move us on to picks. Thanks, Carl. It was a good discussion about identity. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. So uh, who wants to go first? You want to go, Caleb? Yeah, I'll go first. My pick this week is actually called Rocket Book. And if you haven't heard of them, right, the idea is that you have this book or series of pages that are like this plastic film and you write on them with like specific markers. Like you don't have to buy them from them. I think it's like big type. It's You can find the markers. But you basically write on there what you want and then you open up their app and you scan it in and it will send it to like OneNote or Word or an email. And so it, it basically digitally stores it and then you can actually wipe it off with a little like water or cleaner and a rag and start over. And my trying to journal more, which is very sporadic, but this this is a cheap and easy way to not waste paper and to have it saved up on the interwebs so I don't lose it. So wait, so you so you, you write it, so you, you get this piece of you get this rocket thing and yep. then you you write it down, you write whatever you need down and then yep. you take a photo of it or yep. Well and what it does is it it does OCR recognition so it will digitally scan it in. Oh so this um, thing is this thing's an app, is it? It's not a yes. piece of paper. Oh it's, okay. but it's, yeah it's it's the combination of the two. Um, oh, okay. So yeah. I was going to say, why wouldn't you just get a piece of paper and then just take a photo of it? Like, what would, what would be the difference? <laughs> Is it the OCR bit that's... Um, yeah, that's... It, it depending on where you're sending it to, what you're doing, it, it can do uh, OCR and just the reusability of it. Because once you've written full page, you can just wipe it, start over. So, yeah. And they're cheap. They're like 20 or 30 bucks. Um, oh, so it's okay. not like you're spending $300 for, for something. So, yeah. Hmm. All right. Why? What'd you pick? All right, so I recently bought an, an Oculus Quest. Um, I know you've already made that as a, a pick previously, uh, but it's you got it's it. Pretty, it. Yeah, it's pretty cool actually. Like, um, it's like it's been pretty fun. But I've been trying. To, I haven't had much time to play with it. But um, I downloaded a game yesterday called um, Eleven Table Tennis or something. I don't know if you you played it, but it's just no. it, dude. You should, we should you should you should get it, and then we can um we can play online and play because it's it is. It is literally like real life table tennis. Like it's, it is so realistic. Like it's, I was playing, I, was, I spent like, like a couple of hours last night just playing all these people on the internet, like just like <laughs> table tennis. I was like all sweaty and stuff like that. Um, it's incredible. Like, so. Yeah, you I, can get a workout. Yeah, but it's, it's just crazy how, how close to reality it is. Like, 
this 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 table tennis game, you know. So yeah, that, that's my pick. Um, eleven table tennis. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Carl, what's what's your pick? Yeah, so I actually have two, and that's because a, a couple weeks ago a book came out on ASP.NET Core Identity, but I figured it was such, so on topic that I had to recommend it here. Um, I actually read it as well over the last couple of weeks, um, but it's written, it's put out by A Press and written by Adam Freeman, who's done a number of .NET books for A Press, um, and it's called Pro ASP.NET Core Identity Under the Hood. So they go into you know, not just how it works when you configure it out of the box, but how you can extend it and customize it. And it goes into all those scaffolding features we talked about and how you can implement the different interfaces it uses to implement custom functionality for ASP.NET Core Identity. So that's kind of interesting. And then the second pick is uh, Netlify for static site hosting. I've been using them to, to host my blog for really since I started it about three years ago. And uh, it's just a great host for, for static sites. Uh, you get a lot of functionality for free um, out of the box. And they also have an identity platform as well that you can use to manage users. But you just get a lot of functionality out of the box for free. And it's been very reliable. Static websites kind of a misnomer, isn't it? Because you can yeah. still have dynamic content. And that's mine is basically a, a single page application that... Like all the blog posts are stored in a big JSON data file that it downloads and then uses a single page app to, to parse through. Yeah, cool. So my pick this week is an app and it's called Snap Camera. And the listeners don't know that when I first joined the, the meeting today, I was on fire. My background was on fire and all that kind of stuff. And then I also did a little masking and things like that. But I got this because just the other day, it was Star Wars Day, and we had a big work party, and everybody's supposed to dress up with their favorite Star Wars costume and things like that. It's like, okay, I don't have costumes, so let me find something that'll do it virtually for me. So I found a Snap Camera, and it lets you uh, pick all sorts of different types of backgrounds and animations and effects to put on yourself. Basically, it's made for Snapchat, I think, but it can work on your desktop. And basically, you just start it up, select the effect that you want, and then whatever program you're using, like Teams or Zoom or any of those, you just tell it that Snap Camera is your camera, and you go from there. So check it out. It's got all sorts of really cool effects. Some of them aren't so great, but some are really cool. So Snap Camera. That zombie one was freaky. <laughs> Sean put a zombie on him, and when he opened his mouth, the zombie's mouth opened, but it wasn't a normal mouth. It wasn't. It wasn't pretty. I'm just just saying. <laughs> this is the one from Snapchat, isn't it? Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I, I don't use Snapchat except for like well, I don't use it as like a social platform, but I've got the app because my my kids love like looking at the camera and seeing rainbows came out of their mouth and all that stuff. <laughs> oh. Well, now you can just use the app. You don't, you know, on your desktop or whatever. Yeah, and they can see themselves that way. <laughs> so big screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I've never Snapchatted myself, but uh, I thought this app was was helpful. All right, Carl. How can people uh, get out and get in touch with you if they have questions? Yes. Yeah, so on Twitter at Carl Layton, and then my website is www.carlserver.com. You can check those out. All right, great. Thanks for coming on the show. It was great to have you. Yeah. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the invite. Yeah. It was a lot of fun.
If our listeners want to reach out and get in touch with us on the show, please reach out on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. And Caleb Wells is... I forgot the dun 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 it's, uh, again, it's Friday. <laughs> Caleb Wells Coates. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. We'll catch you on the next episode of Adventures in.net. Bye, y'all. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C A C H E F L Y.com to learn more.